This is Terry Crosby. Andy Steiger. Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. All right, so we are, well, I'm looking out the window right now. Nicely sunshine. Coming to you live. Yeah, live fish. From, <laughs> yeah, there's really no such thing as live on the podcast. We're down in San Diego. Well, I San guess we Diego. should say on site in San Diego. Okay. Yeah. On site in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. So in San Diego, it was pouring rain when we arrived. Yeah. It's now Flood sunny. warnings, wasn't there? It flooded for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're wondering what we're doing here, we're attending our annual Evangelical Theological Society and Evangelical Philosophical Society meetings that happen every year. Now, this is a, a part of a bigger event, uh, the annual meeting of the American Academy of Religion and the Society of Biblical Literature. So they move around the United States and they meet in November every year and Evangelical Theological Society and Philosophical Society, it gives them a convenient kind of a chance to get together as well. So we're here in San Diego. We just finished um, attending the ETS EPS meetings uh, where- And there's some other people here too. The Polonists. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So there's, yeah, Is there's that a lot. Even a word? <laughs> no, I don't think so. so. <laughs> I just made it up. Yeah, Terry's just highlighting the fact that. Uh, my doctoral work is in the area of Michael Polanyi, and so it works out really well for me to come to this because then I, I go to the Polanyi Society meetings. But that is an interesting aspect of AAR, is that there are a number of societies that will meet during that time. So they get space for free um, sometimes with AAR or SBL. And uh, the Polanyi Society would be one of them. Yeah, and the Polanyi Society is one of them. And right. Steve and I have attended for the last three days an apologetic to you, Michelis? Yeah. You did mention it. No? No. no oh, I, okay. I, oh, I sorry. Okay. No, I didn't you mention did. that. Okay. No. So Steve and I have been attending as well an apologetics conference that happens in tandem with the ETS and the EPS. Right. So they go that, this year went from uh, Thursday night, Friday night, and then Saturday morning. So we just finished today on that. Right. So that's fantastic. All the speakers that attended e- ETS and EPS uh, contribute to this conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they do it... Uh, for free, for yeah, free. they volunteer. volunteer their time. Yeah. Uh, so we heard from William Lane Craig, Gary Habermas, Craig Hazen, J.P. Moreland, and a host of other um, teachers, uh, others that presented at the Evangelical Theological Society and Philosophical Society meetings. Um, so yeah, we just came back from that today as and well. And it was well attended this year again. Yeah, I yeah. actually we were kind of trying to guess how many people would be there. <laughs> Um, I think what was it, Terry? You had your number was like three, <laughs> it was a low ball, three seventy five. Three seventy five. Oh, ye of little faith. Right? <laughs> Andy had something like five hundred. I had something like seven fifty, I think. But I, I was actually looking up uh, what Craig Hazen said last night on Facebook, and he was reporting twelve hundred people. 
coming out there. So we all got... <laughs> T- Terry is doubting that number. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I don't, I don't think we should believe Craig Hazen. <laughs> but, but it was still, you know... It's, you know. A great, it's a great ministry, and I think one thing to note about that conference is uh, J.P. Uh, Moreland actually uh, highlighted it this year in his plenary session talk. And one of the things that he said is he actually challenged those in biblical literature or systematic uh, in systematics. And he, he just, he, what, what were the two, actually? Uh, the systematic theology and scriptural studies. Yeah, scriptural studies. Uh, and he just challenged them saying, listen, you know, we need to make sure that we're A, addressing the questions that, that people are wrestling with, but but B, we need to make sure that we're making it available to people and that it's accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he actually highlighted the conference and saying, hey, look, uh, if, you know, year after year, you know, you've got these scholars that in, in the area of philosophy and apologetics specifically that have made themselves available to the church uh, for, for that very purpose. Now, at ETS and EPS, it is really a meeting of scholars, right? People who, who have been writing on this, studying this, teaching at different universities, both Christian and, and non-Christian. And sometimes the, the kinds of topics, well, often, it's just really not accessible to the average person in the pew. Yeah, it's not thing, meant right? to be. It's not meant to be that way. And what J.P. Moreland was saying was, like, we have a lot of great stuff here. We need to get this to the average person in the pew. And the, the here, here's an example of the kind of talk title that you can expect at ETS and EPS. Uh, this session is by Ryan Gimple at Charleston Southern University, and uh, the title of the talk is Covenant Epistemology and Diaspora Missiology, Therapy for Theologia Viatorum. <laughs> so I don't even know what that means, right? I, and I'm, I study... Sounds and, good to me. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. I, I do know what covenant epistemology is. Uh, Esther Meek wrote a great book on that, mm. but... The idea being, you know, that that's a, you know, one of those one of those uh, million dollar, you know, <laughs> talk titles. But the idea, though, is there is a need to be thinking about those big issues. But then you also need to make it available uh, mm-hmm. to every. You need to make it available to the church, particularly in the context of the questions that are being asked right. that actually apply to these things. One, now, some yeah. some seem to apply more than others. I'll give you one example of. You know, sometimes it's a title that uh, comes across very intellectual. Sometimes it's a title that just comes across uh, a little on the uh, confusing side. (laughs) So this one is by Clyde uh, Billington. Is the screaming mummy the firstborn son of Pharaoh? (laughs) I've been asking that question for a long time, boys. (laughs) It's just on the edge of my tongue all the time. I, I, I lose sleep over that question. <laughs> I got one from Matthew Westerholm. Uh, this one's uh, titled Lent It Go The Liturgical Calendar and Low Church Tradition. Lent It Go. Lent It Go. Yeah, that's Lent only a go. philosopher would <laughs> laugh about that one or a theologian. Um, here's a good one. Another one that I. Don't really understand, but I'm in, I'm I'm intrigued. <laughs> Who owns God's selfie? By Daniel Fleming. 
Did you get to that one? <laughs> no, I didn't. Rethinking digital ownership in light of divine persons. That's that was the full talk. So, wow. Yeah, I bet there were five people out for that one. <laughs> Gunther Jean Haas. This is his uh, talk title: "To Toke or Not to Toke." Pot is the question. <laughs> the morality of recreational cannabis use. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, we hunted through this year's uh, lineup and found some of the more obscure yeah, or yeah. Uh, academic sounding ones. But there are many, many uh, talks that were given that were incredibly relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to highlight just a couple of those. I like to just say, like, what I appreciate about this and just maybe going, somebody as a layman maybe going to this as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you you, might not know exactly always what they're talking about in the session, mm-hmm. but you're being, being exposed to it, right? You're being mm-hmm. exposed to the language, the, the title, the, the talk, or the, I don't know. That That's just, it, it's nice to get to know what's uh, being talked about in the, in the fields of philosophy or and, theology or... Yeah, and it really helps to put things into perspective, right? So, especially on social media and things like that, we put something out and you get just mobbed by your friends who are atheistic or agnostic, other kinds of brands of skeptics and what have you, right? And you sometimes get this kind of inflated view of their presence because they can be pretty loud, they can be pretty aggressive, right? And they sound smart. But then you come to something like this and you realize, wow, there are some really top-notch, intelligent, smart thinkers that are speaking on all kinds of issues that are just... It's, it's a different ballpark that they're playing in, right? These issues that our atheist friends, agnostic friends sometimes bring up, uh, often in a kind of a philosophically naive way, mm. right? Those are kind of, they're not even like, these guys that are talking ATS, EPS, like it's a little bit, they're a little bit beyond this, right? Like they, they've kind of left these questions beyond, we, we worked through this, you know, we have other big fish to fry. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. it helps put things into perspective. Well, one of the sessions that I went to this year that I found really helpful, uh, in fact, Steve, I believe you were there with me, uh, was a a talk called, uh, Should Children Be Given Drugs to Stop the Natural Progression of Puberty? Uh, And it was uh, a a fantastic uh, talk. And one of the things that I talked to Steve about after this talk was given was not just the content of the talk, but how it was delivered. The, the guy who did this was um, J. Allen Branch. And in fact, uh, I think we'll, we'll work to get him on the podcast. I'd like to interview him on this subject. But one of the things that I really appreciated uh, about his, um, his presentation was uh, he, he approached a hot topic. And, and so, I was, you know, you, can, you could expect to, for things to get kind of riled up, but they really didn't. Uh, in many ways because of the way he approached it. Like, I was thinking to myself, I'm sure most of those in attendance agreed with him uh, just because of the nature of this conference. But I was imagining people that could have been in the audience that might not have agreed with him. I don't think that they would have been too upset uh, by what he said. And and the reason was, is he, he just very plainly and without, uh, without really pushing one side or another. He just basically gave the facts. Uh, and, you know, with, without a lot of emotion, in fact, uh, just, v- just very 
systematically went through and and started. And I think I thought this was key. He started with why, you know, why would people want to give um, drugs to children to um, stop puberty or to slow puberty? And and he mentioned, you know, he mentioned the fact that this drug or this hormone is actually it has its legitimate use. Right, so this so, puberty, so it gives you the background of it. Right, so for example, uh, this puberty blocker was sometimes used in the case of er- the early onset of puberty. Like, so ch- children who are way too young that are kind of abnormally experiencing puberty too early. Now, this would be then used to slow things down, so that they get to experience puberty in the more kind of normal time range, that sort of thing. And so, one thing that I really appreciated about him, it, like you mentioned, Andy, was the fact that. Like if I were, say, an LGBTQ activist sitting in there listening to this, I probably would have appreciated the fact that he seemed to represent the other side pretty well. Uh, like he, he gave was a very fair, fair. Right. Yeah. He gave a pretty fair hearing, if you will, to the other side. And then and, know, it, and it wasn't emotionally charged is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. He no. just he just very fairly just explained their view mm-hmm. and clearly he understood it. And presented it in such a way that you could go, oh, okay, I can at least understand why they would do this. And so one of the things that I often don't do, if I, if I were just to be honest, you know, one thing mm-hmm. I don't do very well, and I think it's just true of people in general, is I don't take the time to put myself in their shoes to, to think through how, how are they thinking about this? You know, what's the rationale or reasoning? Because immediately I will just think this is just totally illogical. You know, and and I just see all of the harm. Um, it can be difficult for me to try to get in their shoes and to try to see it from their perspective. But I thought in this was just such a good example of a, of a person that started the paper by just putting himself in their shoes and giving you the perspective as they see it. Yeah. And then and then taking the Christian perspective and challenging it and doing so in a respectful way. Mm. Uh, and he he was just very respectful as he. As he challenged that, so for example, one of the challenges was, you know, if you're giving children uh, GnRH uh, at a young age, it slows their de- the development of their bone density. So this this is one of many arguments that he gave of why this isn't a, a, a good thing uh, to do. But again, the the point there being, you know, we talk often, Terry. You know, you start the podcast by talking about how. We want to have these conversations in gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought, that what a great model of mm-hmm. how to have a hot topic conversation, but in a way that's gentle and respectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his demeanor, too, was, was very disarming, mm. too. Like, it, he, he's not, I mean, as Canadians, we sometimes, you know, talk about how our American neighbors can be a bit abrasive, very aggressive. You know, it's the football culture kind of a thing. But here was a case of a, a scholar coming to talk about it in a very kind of it's, it's in his tone of voice. It's in the way he carries himself like it wasn't aggressive at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were points where he made some very sharp critique. But he was able to do that without making me feel like, oh my goodness, like I, I wouldn't want an LGBTQ person sitting in here. Like I didn't feel that at all. I think it's so important to know the other person's perspective as well, right? Just as much as you know your own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, just to be able to 
to talk about it, to present it, um, and do your homework, right? Yeah. On but those, that's the hard part. That's the hard part, yeah. Yeah, is that, you, have, you have to do your homework. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you guys? What was the presentation that, yeah, um, that you the, guys enjoyed? This one's not so much at ETS EPS meeting specifically, but Terry and I have been going to that EPS apologetics conference um, about half an hour away from here at a church. And so this is the more kind of the uh, layperson friendly kind of a stuff that happens, just like we put on our Apologetics Canada conference. Um, last night we were at a session put on by, um, his name is a little tricky, Miretu Guta, I think is his name. Um, he actually teaches at Biola University in the MA program in science and religion. And his specialty <clears throat> is in the metaphysics of the mind and neuroscience and, and how they interact with each other and those kinds of things. So his uh, talk title was, Does the Brain Think? Right? And so basically what he did was, okay, that question actually uh, is a complex question. It actually has two questions that are thrown together as a single question. So the two questions are, what is the brain and what is thinking? Like you have to answer these questions before you can even ask, you know, does the brain think? And so what he said was, so if what we need to see is then if as we answer the question about the brain, see whether we make any progress about the question of thinking, right? Because if they are um, connected, like causally connected, then as we figure out more about the brain, then we should be able to see some increase in knowledge about how thinking works. And so he actually spent most of the time, I'd say about two-thirds of the time talking about how the brain works. Like, we got a crash course in neurology. It was deep. It went deep. <laughs> yeah, you hear the dendrites and hear the axons and, and, yeah. and the neurons and the, you know, the, these cells and nucleus, how they work and how the signal travels from the dendrites and all that kind of stuff, right? So, I mean, at some point I was, I was thinking, like, gosh, like, why does it go into all this stuff that, you know, for most people, you'll only catch, like, 20% of it. Yeah. But then he started coming around, and I, now I could see why he was doing that, because he was asking, okay, we've learned all of these facts about the brain so far and how it works. How much progress have we made in the second question about what is thinking? We had made zero progress, right? And, and so he, he was talking about how, you know, yeah, you can have correlation, but that doesn't show causation. And, and, you can't really tie the two together because the mind is such a different thing from the brain and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, and then he mentioned uh, several issues that, that are related to this. And he mentioned artificial intelligence, machine learning, a lot of the stuff that, that we've been talking about for the mm -hmm. last little while now. And I had a chance to, well, Terry and I both, we had a chance to pick his brain after at the Biola University book table and just getting his... Feedback. And, and he's, he's Ethiopian too, and, and he's got this like really lively, um, he, he's a really excitable person. Animated. So, yeah, we're really fun to talk to. Yeah. And we're hoping to actually. Yeah, we invited him on the podcast. Oh, did we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, in the future, uh, he will be on, and I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah. Very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Terry? Was there a session? Um, that... I mean, I really enjoyed just the another session because, uh, was it a year ago or two? When did the Theistic Evolution book come out? 
Oh, well, they've been doing this for a while. So for the last two years. For they, the last two years? Yeah. Okay. I, so they're, yeah. I, because they've dealt, with his, they've dealt with historical Adam issues, and they've also dealt with the topic of theistic evolution. Uh, and I, I thought it was last year that that book, Theistic Evolution... Uh, came out. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. So that, there was another session about it and a panel discussion with a number of noted uh, apologists and uh, scientists. But uh, a paper was presented by Michael J. Murray and John Churchill, just trying to find a better way to connect those two together theistic evolution and those that art like you know mm-hmm. but there's of- a lot of pushback by the scientists basically saying that you know evolution itself is on the downward uh trend like it, you know a lot of people are not buying into it anymore right and so we do have christians well, at least that's what they're arguing yeah that's what they're arguing yeah. but we still have christians that are uh you know well they call themselves um Creation evolutionists, is that correct? I think that's right. Evolutionary creationists. Evolutionary creationists. So even within Christendom, we have this discussion going on with regards to evolution. So I, I, it was a very, we sat there for three hours with a five minute break. Wow. wow. Yeah. And the, 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 the whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, place was packed out there were standing people standing all over the place so it's still a very it's a hot, hot topic. topic right no, no doubt and i was just i was looking around the room and literally <laughs> i thought i said to um i think it was jonathan uh, that was sitting beside me i was like if a bomb went off in this room right now the brightest minds in apologetics would be gone <laughs> <laughs> like it literally like there was that many apologists in there as well as other scientists. So it was it was very well attended by, you know, everyone in different fields of study. That's actually one of the really fun things about coming to ETS EPS is the guys that, you know, the guys whose books we've been reading. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, if you've been reading a textbook or something like that, and then you actually get to meet the guy who wrote your textbook kind of thing, yeah. there's a lot of that going on. And yeah. so, oh, hey, there goes Mike Lacona. Oh, Harry, there goes Dr. Craig. And oh, hey, there goes. Well, I was telling you about Michael J. Murray because when I was doing my master's, uh, a book was given to me called Reasons for the Hope Within. Mm. And that book was so impactful to me. And, you know, this is the guy that wrote this paper for oh, this, wow. this yeah. session. And it was just, it was so clear, too. Like, it was just so well written. And he talked about a lot of different topics in within the book itself. But it was so good. But, yeah, I got to see him. And just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now a face to the, to the, the name, right? Yeah. yeah, it definitely, it helps you to know what, what are the major talks, uh, topics that are, that are out there. Books that are being published. Mm-hmm. You're meeting the authors. Uh, one of the beauties of this conference is all the books are fifty percent off, or most of them are fifty percent off, which is, which is always nice. Yeah. But one of the things I thought was interesting, and this really, uh, uh, you know, lets us know that we're on the right track when we're putting on our own Apologetics Canada conference, is you know what are, what are the big topics that are being addressed, or what are the big ones that we see coming. Mm-hmm. Now, this year for the Apologetics Canada Conference, our theme is Back to the Future, and we're, we're looking at the next decade and asking, okay, we just went through a decade of ministry as an organization. Uh, and what, what now do we think is the next decade going to look like? And one of the sessions, and one of the sessions that we attended 
Steve and I, was on transhumanism. It was on issues of ethical issues uh, with regards to CRISPR and other, other you know, bio ethical issues, if you will. Mm-hmm. And as, as we were in, you know, this session, it, it was it was really interesting, um, and, and and as we heard in other sessions, how this topic continues to be brought up in in, in this. Uh, lecture in particular, it, the guy who was presenting it had been apparently assigned this topic, uh, and this isn't this wasn't his normal field. But as he got into it, he said, "Man, I've really begun become quite concerned about this issue." That uh, you know, we heard over and over again here at the conference that that these bioethical issues are without question the issues of our time that, that deal on the question of personhood. And so this year at the conference, you know, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're having discussions on this subject. And it was really confirming for us to, to hear from these top scholars in the field going, yeah, that's exactly, you know, what we're dealing with in the next mm-hmm. 10 to, fi- to 15 years. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of his statistics that I thought was quite arresting was he said within the next 15 years, it's projected that 40% of the jobs, forty uh, percent of jobs will be automated. Now that doesn't mean that forty percent of people will be out of work. You know, you'll you'll have different jobs. Yeah. But forty percent of the jobs we know today that are that are labor intensive jobs uh, will be automated. Like you by the use of drones and and different things, right? Because I mean, yeah. uh, I've been hearing about, for example, Amazon using drones to you know for delivery services you know kind of thing and they can drop things right at your door without actually yeah. using sending somebody to actually deliver this stuff and if you have a hard time believing this just go on youtube and watch some uh boston robotics uh youtube vids of what they're able to accomplish mm. i mean they've got robots that can do parkour uh mm. and if you see yeah no it's, it's hard to believe they even have a they they have the robots doing backflips, but they they can also not as good as Steve though. Well, uh, <laughs> well you're setting the bar pretty low, my friend. Okay. But but they've got examples of machines that are packing box, like not packing, but they're moving boxes and mm-hmm. doing all sorts of stuff. That at one time it's like, well, I hear people saying that, but I don't see how that's possible. Well, you can you you can YouTube it. It's it's more than possible. Yeah. So. So it's really kind of an up-and-coming topic. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, people in in our church, we're not quite aware of it yet. Like, it hasn't really infiltrated yet. I mean, there, there are some people in the church that are talking about it, mm-hmm. but it hasn't really hit us, I don't think. Well, what was interesting, if you remember in the talk, and we heard this repeatedly, is... The idea was we have got to start talking about this with the church. That there like now. are like now, yeah, yeah, like there are ethical issues going on in technology that we have got to start having conversations with immediately. And so that's what we're trying to do mm-hmm. uh, with this conference. Uh, and again, I thought, man, uh, it really encouraged me that you know we're we're on the right track, and that the that these topics need to be addressed. But here's here's the challenge. And this is this is one of the things that I challenged the speaker on uh, that this we need to know more than just raising alarm bells, you know. And one of the questions that I asked the speaker, it was almost comical actually, is I said, "Listen, you did a great job explaining to us the problem. Uh, did you come? You know, I was hoping I went to the thing hoping for answers, 
And I was actually quite disappointed because I can't tell you the number of times I've read a book on the subject or heard a speaker on the subject. And all they've done is it identified the problem. And I'm like, we've got to do more than identify the problem. Uh, we need to, we need to see uh, some solutions. So I asked him, could you recommend a book? You know, could you recommend some resources? And, uh, <laughs> and then he, it was weird, wasn't it, Steve? He yeah. just he just kind of moved along. He kind of sidestepped. <laughs> it wasn't. It was well. He kind of went off in a different direction. It didn't <laughs> even. Answer. And so, part of me wonders, like, well, do we even have anybody who's really like offering solutions, whether mm -hmm. it's theoretical or practical, right? And so, it's a really open kind of a question. Now, if you go to the the bookstore, like, so. We we're talking about how at ETS EPS meetings, one of the things is that you can actually go to the exhibit hall and you'll have all of these different organizations, Christian organizations that are offering different services. But one thing, the, the main thing you notice is there are these major Christian publishers that bring their books out and you know you can't buy them at great discounts and all of, all of those kinds of things. As you look around, like as I looked around the room, um, I could point to like, I could count in my one hand books that actually deal with this issue of technology, personhood, mm. transhumanism, those kinds of things, mm -hmm. right? Well, and then everything else is about the Bible, uh, devotional life, or uh, philosophy, Christian history, living. Christian living, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But the books that actually deal with this particular issue that's really up and coming, there's a handful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If that now to give a shout out, uh, reasons to believe, uh, Fuzz Rana, I believe is how you mm -hmm. say his name. He wrote a book called Human 2.0. Uh, now I haven't read it, uh, but it was highly recommended, and apparently he does address answers in there. Mm -hmm. uh, I will be looking at it, but but there is a book that. Uh, you know that potentially has some answers i'm not going to say there are <laughs> until yeah. i read it for myself because yeah. i become skeptical <laughs> yeah yeah so question for you guys did you guys max out your MasterCards on buying books <laughs> well steve oddly okay, enough, we come we come down here and the books yeah. in this uh exhibit area are 40 50 Sometimes sixty yeah. percent off. Yeah, and even Lagos is fifty percent off. It's it's yeah. it's hard to not buy things. Now yeah. I kept seeing Steve with handfuls of books. Yeah. And every time I'm like, oh Steve, you get something and he's buying it for somebody else. Like yeah. he, he is a <laughs> he book mule. <laughs> like, did you buy any books for yourself, man? Uh, book mule? <laughs> <laughs> I actually bought a Bible. Oh, oh good. <laughs> because <laughs> because the the I, I normally read my Bible on the phone, but the physical Bible I have is really big, and so it's good for studying. Yeah, yeah. But it's not as portable, so I bought something that's a little bit more portable. But other than that, all of the books that I got aside from the Bible is all from my sister-in-law Alex, who loves to read, and so I, I'm happy to be a book mule for her. <laughs> so I, I didn't get any this year. But I see a, a stack beside you, Andy. Yeah, I... A big stack. I bought a few. Is there one there that you are ready to jump into, like, right now? Well, there's there's many in there that I'm loving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, okay, just one, I've been, I've Just been, one. They've, they've, uh, I've been walking around with them now. Uh, here's one that I thought was interesting. I, like, I don't know that I'm going to read this cover to cover, but this is, I think, an interesting resource to have on the shelf. A good reference work. Yeah, a good reference work. It just came out. It's called... The New Testament in its world, 
and it's an introduction to the history, literature, and theology of the first Christians. Now, this is, uh, if I understand this correct, this is the work of N.T. Wright that has been edited into this volume by Michael Bird. And so it's basically taking some of the best works of N.T. Wright and making them, uh, categorizing them into helpful sections. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an N.T. Wright reader is what, it, is um, what I would say. It's a thick one. It's it, heavy. It's, yeah. it's a beast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and N.T. And Wright was here for this, and so was Michael Bird. Yeah. And uh, they, were, they were pumping this pretty hard, but it looks like a great resource. Yeah. And we've heard yeah. lots of great things about it. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, I think that's it for here in San Diego. <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> so we're going to end it there. So thanks for joining us, listeners. Uh, the AC Podcast is the Ministry of Apologetics Canada. And we'll come back next week with more things to think about. Oh, and I have to go back to Edmonton, leaving this sunshine <laughs> behind. <laughs>